0: Well, it's something that you face when you preach out of the first two chapters of a book and successive Sundays, and you sit down on Sunday morning to prepare, and almost luminously the third chapter stares you in the face, and, you know, half the crowd is expecting you to go on, make it a series. But look at that first verse, for heaven's sake you understand the barriers I faced likewise you wives be submissive to your husbands ah first verse going right in that's what, I'd ha- that's what I had to get over how are we going to get around Paul, oh, St. Peter on this one how are we going to figure this out let's pray dear Lord we're very grateful for your word Make us good in regard to it. We'd ask that we would be wise and faithful. In your son's name, amen. So you can understand uh, the difficulty. There are certain passages you just stay away from. One's on the veiling of women in Corinthians 11. Uh, What else another one? This passage in Ephesians 5. Uh, There's a few in Ezekiel that you just don't even want to read, even as an adult. So you just don't don't preach on certain stuff. Too many questions. Not enough wine, wisdom, and songs to ask them in. Now, uh, here, thankfully, there's a way to bail out of this. We've got some options. One is to work our hardest to get around the Apostle. He doesn't really mean what it's like. It looks like he says he means, doesn't really. Or he shouldn't be meaning that. We've we've come on from there. We're at 2016, for heaven's sake. And there's other ways of saying, "Dang it! This is what the Bible says. You ought to be." Neither of those seem to be workable, in my mind, because even if you had. A docile church filled with docile women, and you are not those. (laughs) I was walking up the stairs from getting my cup of coffee, look out the door of the back back door of the church, and there's Sierra against the shed with a cigarette. (laughs) And she looks at me like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the Christian women in our church. (laughs) But I prefer that. I, I really prefer that. I'd rather have strong women who understood the scripture and made themselves what God wanted to be, whatever that is. But we could create a culture of, you know, gingham dress throwbacks who, you know, um, their intellectual feast of reason were the end of the rolling pin, you know, which, which um, so we're not going to go those directions. Uh, because this is part of something we've been in This is part of something we've been in, in this series, inadvertent series, because in the previous chapter, if you'll remember, if you were here, when it says, likewise, you wives, your mind should go, what? Where am I? Likewise, you wives. He had just ended chapter 2. With, for to this you have been called, for Christ also suffered for you. And that was explaining, servants be submissive to your masters in verse 18 of chapter 2. And in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is only part of the subject. It's the wives part of the subject. There was the employers, employees part of the subject. There was the citizens part of the subject. None of them in good situations. None of them, well, I'll submit when, they, when the president doesn't command me to let guys dressed up as chicks come in my bathroom. No, you, that's not how it works. This was submit yourself to pagan emperors, pagan governors, This is even to the overbearing master who punished you unjustly. It draws the lines all sort. Then here, wives, submit yourselves, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, this is a non-Christian husband. This is a guy who doesn't have quiet time with you, doesn't pray tenderly with you over the things that concern a woman's mind. God help us. It's a guy who doesn't even like you, that you go to a church. But this is drawing something more than... We're not trying to create a church in which there's a bunch of guys with their... Yeah, I'm, I'm really considering suspenders, really. Honest. But there's a certain kind of machismo that conservative Christians get into. And they want to create little subcultures in their family or in their church, in their friends groups, in which their swagger is the most important thing. And and of course, the women have got to play their role in that. This is not about creating that. You could create that if you'd like, if you want to be. Everybody got John Wayne's walk down. Okay, John Wayne walked like he wanted to kill you. He had that a certain. And we, we like that as guys. We like that because we watch movies for the number of explosions. Women fall asleep during the explosions. My wife can sleep through the fight scene. So we're different. If you want to hang out in that sort of situation and work on cars and, you know, drink some cheap beer, that's fine. But in the church, when we get to this chapter of Peter, we're not looking at this Wives, be submissive to your husbands because we're trying to create some kind of uh, um, chattel-like situation inside our church. Because it's likewise. Jesus Christ, in what he saved us to, we're not trying to create submissive women. He's trying to create submissive people. Okay? Okay? Not submissive, you say, but aren't women supposed to be submissive? Yeah, but don't cling to that one. If you as a guy haven't learned to submit yourself to your rulers, if you have not learned to humble yourself before your employers, don't expect the wife to suddenly show up with a sandwich, being all submissive and the like. Now, she should be before the Lord, but you don't care about the Lord, you only care about you. You only care about you getting someone to do what you say, not you doing what somebody else says. Now, what's interesting here, you know, we're not, actually, I, as I looked at the passage, I've been over this in uh, Bible studies and all sorts of other situations. I didn't want to get bogged down in necessarily the gain That winning the non-believing husband that's a great thing they'd be won without a word by the behavior of their wives when they see your reverent and chaste behavior but when when you read this next verse I want you to think about where where it's pushing you and all of us let not yours be the outward adorning with braiding of hair decoration of gold and wearing of fine clothing all of you women disobedient this morning I accuse. Because some people will look at that passage and say, oh, these are, well, good too, really. I'm really shocked at the way women dress these days. It's, not an, it's saying, don't be thinking about dress. When you think about adornment, don't think about a nice outfit. Because the best Baptist pastor's wife is going to be thinking, she might be shopping at Marshall's and not at Nordstrom's, but she's going to be thinking about looking nice. It's fine for her to do so, but her adornment that matters isn't to be outward. Not because outward is immodest, but because outward is not the topic. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So I wanted you to think, you look at the bolded phrase there, in God's sight. You have to stop. When you become religious, you're not trying to join a group that has managed to create rituals and traditions down through the centuries that you can grab whatever portion of that Christendom you want to belong to because you agree with its philosophy and you agree with his lifestyle and that's, we're not making a religion here. You find a God, the God defines the religion. You find a God, it's his example. It's his expectations. What is your life in the sight of God? What do you act like? Here the subject is wives. Wives? God's smiling on you. Is God saying, yeah, I like the way she acts? To her husband, to her unbelieving husband. Is she a nag to her unbelieving husband? Why don't you ever go to church? Why don't you ever do this? But also, since we're likewising it, all of us employees, when we are mistreated and accused unjustly by our masters and beaten for it, you know how they beat you at work. They don't at your work job? or the citizen having to show reverence to a slimy piece of human debris who runs the country, be it the emperor as supreme or governor sent by him to punish those who do wrong. How do you, we're all in a situation that we're supposed to find ourselves in God's sight looking the right way. So once holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands. Remember, this is not about controlling women. This is about controlling everybody. And Jesus Christ, I want you to be thinking today that Jesus Christ, for all of us, in all these areas of our lives, and all issues of authority, has made us reverent people. Here, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are now her children, if you do right, and let nothing terrify you. Likewise, you husbands, live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex. Since you are joint heirs, of the grace of life, in order that your prayers may not be hindered. It suggests in the background there that men, husbands not doing this in submission to their God, puts them at odds with their God. You want to say, I as a husband, I as a wife, I as an employee, I as a citizen. Is God pleased when he looks at me the way I carry Christianity into those situations? The idea is reverence. Verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart, and in bold, a humble mind. One of the problems, you some of you are millennials, and I don't mean to pick, but you're a lousy generation. My generation was drug-addled and pointless, but we had good rock and roll. You don't even have that. We probably cost everything we learned. that We thought we were smart enough to raise up kids, and we weren't. So we did it. I mean, you, you might be this way, but we did it to you. And I apologize for the generation. Well, one of the basic problems, one of the basic problems is the conceit. My heavens, everybody thinks they're God's little special moment. Nobody gets to say. Uh, you ever notice? Uh, no matter what girls, you probably could be a little bit moment of honesty. You put a new photo of yourself online. Here's my Facebook, new Facebook profile. Oh, so beautiful! Oh, so beautiful! Every girlfriend you have, oh, you're gorgeous. Because no one dares say she's not. Even when everyone knows she's not, we're gonna lie through our teeth. Now I'm not saying that the new Christian mode of operation is to tell the absolute truth on Facebook, because that could cause a war. But I want you to notice how far removed parents raising their kids. I've asked a number of parents, and we're having a child rearing seminar in August. Number of parents I asked them, "When did you treat your, t- teach your child humility, not obedience?" humility. Part of this, this ability to sympathize, have unity, love for the brethren, a tender heart, without the humble mind, this instruction in this book isn't going to come at you very well. Because that's how both the liberal mind, who can't stand the part about the wives, right? Because that's just we're equal and the conservative mind what do you mean you treat the state this way what if they try to take my guns <clears throat> ever noticed how the liberal and the conservative act like they were operating under the same lord they become so annoyed they become so loud they, become, they, they, they march in the streets nobody's going how could I be uh, more reverent today Because when it tells a woman that she's to be reverent and chaste, it's not her piety. Non-Christian husbands don't want a wife who goes to Wednesday night prayer meeting. They're not going, oh, what a remarkably pious woman. Reading her Bible or the, whatever the popular Bible study writers these days are for women, all these Christian books lying around the house, that's not the kind of reverence he's looking for the sandwich. He's looking for She did what I told her. I've told you this story before about the Baptist uh, wife of a marginal religious, not very religious man who drank beer and smoked cigarettes. And she was a Baptist. Need we say more? And she was always just a little contentious you know, a little bit of problem because her desire to be reverent towards God in a Baptist way meant that this was wrong. And she was married to this wrong, and so somehow that seepage of how wrong he is had to come out. So not only was she not reverent to her husband, she was the reverse of reverent to her husband, out of reverence for Christ. But no, she used to be reverent to her husband, because she's supposed to be adorning herself this way for him, and were submissive to her husband's, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's where the reverence is supposed to be going. And my father told this woman, because she had come to him for counsel, how do you make this bad man good? And luckily, there's a verse about how to make a bad man good. She shows some reverence because Christ is watching. And not because this is a rule, because, remember, you can't be made docile, you can be made broken and docile, that sort of raw servility. You could be convinced that Christians are supposed to act this way, even though, I like, know it's not true, that's why I don't like complementarianism, it's because it's all true, everything the non-Christians say about equality, it's all true, but let's pretend like it's not. Let's go act like the Bible tells us to act in these situations. So you can think what you want about that, but we're not trying to fake it. We're being made into submissive people to those in power over us. Because Christ, chapter 2, verse 1, for to this you have been called. It's the nature of the Christian life, folks. You don't get to design another one. This is not a smorgasbord of the faith where you get to pick which part, how masculine a group you get to join. The effeminate groups are wrong. The masculine groups are wrong. Jesus Christ is right. And he says, you should have a humble mind. And how he applies this, verse 9, do not return evil. Did I finish that story? I didn't. Oh, the Baptist woman? She was thinking of how do you make your husband righteous? And dad said, well, next time you, he's sitting watching the game and you're leaving, stop by his Barca lounger because that's what I picture him sitting in and say, you're going to Safeway, could you pick him up a carton of cigarettes? Quit being such a Baptist start being a Christian. Pick up some cigarettes. My dad has never smoked. He was a teetotaler about everything, even when he was a non-Christian. Here he is recommending to Baptist women who know better, who live a life like his, to pick her husband up some cigarettes and beer. Because that would show reverence. To He didn't know what hit him. Suddenly, you're seeing a different kind of person than is the usual Contentiousness that religion sometimes offers women the possibility of becoming. Or in liberal circuit, conservative circles, the contentiousness of the right thinking employee. Do we speak reverently or do we revile? Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called, that you may obtain a blessing. Did you see the echo in that verse? Because back in chapter 2, it says, He did not revile when reviled. It says, To this you have been called. It repeats that our Christian life had better learn humility, had better learn that our Christ lived a certain way under authority to the point he got strung up, unjustly treated. And it says that we may obtain a blessing if we don't get this. Verse 10, he quotes Psalm 34 here, if you want to look it up in your free time. Um, For he that would love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do right. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. That last verse there, verse 12, I've often gone to it. It's a quote from Psalm 34, but it's quoted in Peter. And so when somebody asked, does God hear the prayers of the non-believer? And I said, well, look, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So um, he's against the unrighteous. It's a go-to passage, a proof text. It's true, but I want you to stop and think what Peter is using it as in terms of what kind of righteousness is he describing. He's describing an Old Testament reference to the kind of righteousness Christ showed in his life, and he is asking the wives that are married to non-believers and the the, uh, servants that are enslaved by ungodly masters and citizens of pagan empires. that they define their righteousness in this kind of peace, not reviling in return, not contending. Do you notice how the conservative and the liberal both get contentious when you cross the line? When you are not going to let them do what they want to do? Because the liberal and the conservative have the same Lord when it comes down to this. The liberal and the conservative both want to obey me. And they can't stand it when their boss comes down with a different decision. It's not doing it right. I got in trouble for something I didn't even do. The Lord said, take it patiently, you swine. But that's just Jesus Christ. I mean, I know you're busy representing your own interests and not the Lord's. But we have to remember that the Lord in his sight is offering a blessing. God is saying, this is the kind of righteousness that gets your prayers listened to. You want the kind of prayers that get listened to? Are you trying to think of how many old ladies you have to help across the street to be called righteous? What is righteousness? A lot of Bible reading. Going to a lot lot of church meetings. And I'm sorry, as a church, we haven't offered that many meetings. Because I know some people would really get into it if we did. But... Much rather have you learned this humility. And God is saying, I'm going to give you a blessing. When we react to this. Everything everything ever look at the Bible or portion of the Bible, I don't know if I I don't know if I agree with that ever do that I mean, free country and all and I've, I've known a lot of people who say well you know I know St. Paul said but I don't know, I don't really agree with that oh really uh, we know that a lot of this is against our natures a lot of this is but that doesn't that when, it, when you're the other side of the conversation, if you and I were talking and I said something you disagreed with, it'd be an open question as to who was wrong. When God's the other side of the conversation, it's not really an open question. If it's against your nature, your nature is wrong. If it's against your nature, go back to chapter 2. I think I put it here on the side. Yes, yes I put it in here. It was from last week. Remember when we looked at the citizenship and the employment and our shaking our fist at our authorities, we forget who we've been, how we've been treated in Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Maintain a good conduct among the Gentiles so that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then it goes into be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution that is the righteousness that is the, the, the setting yourself free I'm not about my passions I'm not about the flesh rewarding me every chance I get yeah, yeah. now a lot of people what's the first thing that well what if this yeah, maybe you have done this in your own head today well, well, what if they were like communists? What if the government took my guns? Give them your guns. What if he took my children? Not, I'm not really workable here, folks. It's called persecution. Stuff happens. But shouldn't we start a war? No. No. You learn to be patient. Bad things do happen. These are all bad. You know, back if you go to Ephesians, it's all talking about a Christian marriage relating back and forth as a Christian marriage. That's great. Those are, that's what we normally have. We have normal Christian people, both of them Christians, relating to each other, and hopefully you get a Christian employer, or you try to vote for a Christian in power, whatever the case You want to have a better nation. But all of these are negative. And he's going into this with this negativity on the surface. He says, verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is right? If you live this way, you will be blessed. This is just naturally good. Dale Carnegie would say the same thing. How to make friends and influence people. Now he might be a sack full of insincerity, but you're being made this way because... We've been called into marvelous light. We have found a Lord that is no longer us. And just because you hold the biblical position about Ephesians 5 and Peter 3, and not quite so biblical about Peter 2, or Romans 13, because I'm a conservative, whichever direction you're going, you're serving yourself. Learn some humility. Because even you don't get to raise the question of, well, what if something bad happens? That's the presumption in this. Even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He already covered that in getting beaten for an illegitimate reason by your oppressive master. And then he told you, then he points at Jesus on the cross and says, That's the example, folks don't think you can bring up anything worse. Being perfect, being God, being falsely accused by those who followed your religion, I mean, the the insult is amazing, the theological opponents of yours grab you, torture you, and nail you to a tree until you're dead. And you're supposed to brave some sort of situation in which you will have a hard time being righteous. No. That's our example. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts reverence Christ as Lord. That's where the answer is. That's where we learn humility is in Him. You don't learn humility by finding out you're you know, a complete sack of human waste. That's not. Humility is you not. Uh, When I was in art school, we have crits, which I think are a wonderful thing. I wish it happened in more, you know, majors. Even though there's a bunch of loose thinkers in the art world, crits are are brutal. Everybody's art goes on the wall. You all stand around in a group and the professor talks about them. And just how stinko they are. Sure, we could learn humility by finding out we're nobody. Jesus Christ was humble and he was creator of the universe. If humility is you not finding out you aren't that great, humility is something else. Humility is that it's... I personally think that you're all a very a lovely congregation. Physically, you're just handsome and pretty. Mentally, you're above average. Um, Charming, wish you were wealthy, but you're not. So you're all struggling. Well, how am I ever going to learn humility with this? Well, the same way Jesus learned humility being God. How does. What's the humility of Christ? If I reverence Christ as Lord, Something else should be going on than me just figuring out, oh no, I'm not very much. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. You ever remember that situation? I think it's in towards the end of Acts. <laughs> I think myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. That's how a humble gentleman stands before a foul Edomite king who is having an affair with his sister. Bernice is his sister. And everybody knows. And Paul's standing in front of him, not going all John Knox on them, but going all Jesus Christ on them reverence and gentleness and keep your conscience clear so that when you're abused those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame so we're not asking the Christians to be losers and represent themselves as losers we're advising the Christian no matter where you are in the lineup of humanity the best looking the smartest you haven't yet pegged the meter as son of God But the humble says, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. That's the difference. Christ didn't go around and go, I'm not really God. No, he said, I'm really God. When he washed the disciples' feet, he says, yes, if I am your master and Lord and I did this, how much more should you do this? We can't imagine being humble at the same time not changing our self-valuation and this is why people who are trying to create a Christian culture and pushing women down, they gotta, they gotta make them servile because you gotta make them think they're not worth it this is a situation where you could be married to a woman 12 times smarter than you Better looking. Not that I struggle with... Oh yeah, she is better looking. You can still be in that situation and still have a biblical marriage because it's not a matter that the humble have to be less than the Lord they serve. In all these cases, the humble are greater than the Lord they're serving. Be it the pagan emperor, the unrighteous master, or the unbelieving husband. So what kind of humility are we learning? This is kind of good behavior that all authorities like to see and people reverse their decision about you. There's a difference. The word reverence, which has occurred a few times here, I may point on the side, he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Everybody knows that thing. Can't say that unless You have the spirit of God. But here it's a difference between you having the, 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 the dictates of Christendom on your lips, but whether you reverence Christ as Lord. For it is better to suffer for doing right, verse 17. If that should be God's will, then for doing wrong. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone unto heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Now, that little passage is. You could pack a dump truck up to that and we could be talking for days about what just got unloaded into it. I mean, just, what do you mean, the spirits in prison? Who's that? And what about this baptism? Because you know, Christians, have you ever heard that Christians fight over baptism? A lot. I could kill you for your view on baptism. And you would definitely want to kill me for mine. But Don't get sidetracked. Like like last week when it says that the people were going to be destroyed as they were destined to do. And we get caught up in the word destined rather than what they were destined to. I want you to look at Christ here because we get caught up in what the Christians can create an argument over. And we live out a religion that is based on all the rituals we've fabricated and the arguments we have insisted upon, rather than looking at Jesus Christ. We are to come to Jesus. That's what it said in the last, the last chapter, right? Come to him, that living stone. I'm to be looking at Jesus Christ, who in this moment died for the unrighteous. He tells you that, right? Verse, died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Not only that, he went to Hades... And he preached to people, beings, we'll just say, spirits in bondage. Which in the next chapter, if this series continues, the verse will come up that lets you know why he preached to the spirits in bondage. And he preached the gospel to them. It's not so that we can have an interesting discussion about cosmology, which there will be one but because his humility. All that he did, dying for sinners, preaching to spirits who didn't have a chance otherwise. Back in the days of Noah, the flood and baptism, does this mean about water baptism or what about, get your mind off baptism. Because whatever baptism is to you, here in the passage, it ought to be to you an appeal to God for a clear conscience, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it ought to be. I don't care whether you, if you say, well, I don't think a baby could do that. Well, then, okay, fine, deal with that. I don't think the average 14-year-old Baptist who walked the aisle and decided they were going to get baptized because that's what their church does. It also was an appeal to God for a clear conscience. What baptism is, corresponding to the flood, is an appeal to God for a clear conscience. What is the passage telling you about our relationship to God? What God has done in Christ, we're supposed to be picking up. What Christ did in this passage, dying for you while you were a sinner. Giving you a passage to this greatness. And that's the end of the chapter. Now you have to stop and ask yourself. When you get a chance. What kind of person is being described? Go to read through the passage again. I said, what if I met this person, someone who was completely obedient, didn't have any struggle with it, didn't fight anything off, it's just. Are they effeminate? Are they always caving? Christ, look at Christ. Do I have this humility? Have I represented the holiness of God to the non-Christians around me because of my common mind with Jesus Christ? If you're a contentious woman, and Lord knows, Solomon had a problem with that. And he said, to restrain her is like to restrain the wind and to grasp oil in your right hand. It's not easy. I asked my father, have you ever fixed a contentious woman? He said, no. My father is a great, great saint who has fixed many broken lives of all sorts of sins, incredible sins, sins that would, you know, make your blood boil. But a contentious woman... And men, on the other hand, are combative because we've got testosterone and we want to compete about everything, including our views of baptism. We want to lord it over one another. And we can dress up both of these in Bible talk. I read the liberals online who are talking about egalitarianism in marriage and they can talk about it like Jesus was the centerpiece of that and then the complementarians over here given Jesus the center of it, and whatever else is going on, Ever can make any subject sound Christian. But Jesus Christ wants to make something of you, and you have to tell yourself what that is. Right at the bottom here, I'll close with this, because this made me think of this Philippians 2 passage. A passage often quoted about, well, Christians should be of one mind. Well, actually... Yeah, but this is the mind. And we don't want to admit that. Matter of fact, when we say Christians should be of one mind, we then get into a big fight to try to make the other people agree with me. Because Lord knows we'd all be of one mind if we agreed with Evan. Because I am right. Just saying. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Let's get a confession written up that we all can swear to. We'll have a 20-year fight over that confession before it's written. But then we'll require that any real good Christian sign it. Having the same love. Oh, dang it. Being in full accord and of one mind. Oh man, that mind again. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. I don't like where this is going. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility count. Look not to your own interests. Have this mind among yourselves. Ah, he's actually telling us what it's supposed to be. The mind he wants you to have the same of, being of one mind. Have this mind, this kind of mind. Let me remind you, it's both humble, and it's not self-interested, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Kind of like Peter was recommending in his book. Who, though he was in the form of God, even though you're the best looking person in this congregation, and clearly smarter than the pastor, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did not but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That's the mind, folks. If you haven't gotten there, all the agreement in the world over baptism, end times, women's role in the church, I don't care what you want to pick up on, where you could force one another by good argument and good necessary consequence that we're going to be the right ones on this, if you haven't learned to be of one mind with Jesus Christ in humility, where even though he was God, he did not insist on himself. You ever run into Christian churches that seem to insist on themselves? Oh, you, you say, well, how about here? Well, you can be wrong, if you'd like, and imagine that quite a few, few you are but you're going to be answering for your own life before God. I'm not trying to make you agree with me. I'm going to point out that this is the mind that Christ had. This is the mind you were told to have. And this is the mind until you get this humility. You're toast. Don't even expect your prayers to be answered, for heaven's sake. You might be the greatest thing for the the new Christendom ever. But his ears are open to this kind of righteousness. And this kind of humility gets exalted. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where it ends. It's a path of humility. Not because we want to say everybody is right and a non-Christian husband is just as good as a Christian husband. He's not. He needs to be saved. We humble ourselves to win people. We humble ourselves to be good so that it has an effect. Because someday, all this is going to be judged. Someday. And we want to be standing where we've learned humility. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful. Watch over us each as we try to learn from your son what it is to be great and not insisting on ourselves. Teach us all the ins and outs of this, Lord. It's complicated. We're, we're people living in a modern age. Where self-absorption is the rule. Teach us to be driven to others' needs. In your son's name we pray. Amen.